0: Due to the graphic nature of some of the topics we will be touching on, listener discretion is advised. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are back with another exciting and unique episode of Eye for an Eye. My name is Matt. My lovely co-hostesses are here with me, ladies, Tell them what's so... up?
1: Good evening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back.
0: What up? Tonight, this morning, today, we're going to be taking eye for an eye. And instead of focusing on one particular case, as we usually do, we are going to talk about elements of true crime across a broad spectrum of the criminal element. How many cases have we talked about, ladies, where we go through cases of overladen punishment? police brutality, death penalty cases, or tonight's main event, gun reform. Right? How often do we talk about these things?
1: It's so relevant in various ways that we often talk about it a lot. Right. Yeah, we do talk about it a lot. and It's one of the main weapons used for homicide, which is what we primarily talk about on this show. It's a big Topic and it's a hot button topic as well. We know we might have some people want to turn this off, but really, bear with us. We want to really explore this from all angles. I want everyone to go in with an open mind, and I'm talking to myself primarily because I do have strong stances on this, and we'll all talk about it. And maybe we'll talk about why we do feel the way we do about certain topics and and just the facts and everything. But yeah, I'm excited to talk about all this.
0: After we record this episode, one of the other truly special things about what we're doing today is that we're going to open it up to what Lisa said, open-minded people who are willing to have a discussion. Because obviously, not everyone agrees on this topic. Some of us are more strong-willed. And there are some of us who are willing to have a vigorous debate about it. But we also want to keep in mind that there are reasons people believe the things they believe, and we would like to hear them and hopefully validate some of these beliefs. So, tonight, as we said, we will be discussing gun reform. We're gonna kick this off by reading a few statistics. Again, these are hot button issues. We are not here as a political show. We are not intending to make a political point. We are going to read some statistics. We are going to discuss them. One of us <coughs> Matt, <coughs> is going to play devil's advocate on several of these points. And we're going to, as we said, open it up to discussion. We're going to conduct polls via our numerous social media pages. If you don't know about them, check them out. at iPod, get us up. A... And we're going to see what type of results we get. We want as many people to chime in on this as we possibly can. So feel free to share it with other people whom you may know that may have a particular opinion and see what they think. And then we're going to have part two, where we will feature everybody's opinions. I'm very excited. Very excited. So. Ladies, are you ready?
1: Uh, Yeah. Born ready, Matt.
0: Boom! I love it. So, I want to talk first about a Gallup poll in America that asks a very simple question. Do you have a gun in your home? This poll goes back to 1960. In 1960, 49% of people said they had a gun. Over time, That has fluctuated from a high of 51% in 1992 to a low of 34% in 1999. Since then, it has fluctuated and gone up between 45% and 42% at the last Gallup poll in 2021. From 49% in 1960 to 42% now, that is somewhat of a decline. The U.S. population in that time has also dramatically increased so we have to take in mind how many people are filling out the population and filling out these these questionnaires if people are being honest guns have actually decreased in america since 1960 what do we think of that guys
2: i think it's interesting and now i'm looking up more about what gallup does
0: Yeah, I'd like to know more about who they pull Jules. How do they find people to send these to? If you would be able to find any information on that, that would be helpful. But also, I find that interesting simply because in 1960 in America, things were definitely tenuous. But I think people could say the same thing right now. I would think, if anything, that more people would have guns. But it's actually gone down 7%. And again, this was a high of 54%.
1: I think that a good portion of the reason why, and I don't have any real statistics at this point to back this up. This is just a plain old hypothesis by good old Lele over here. But I find that, and this is going to come up probably already off the bat controversial, but as the older generations pass and new generations come up, I think um, maybe not a very big majority, but it's but a pretty decent majority of people feel strongly about gun reform on a certain spectrum and a certain end of it. So a lot of these people aren't seeking to purchase firearms or if they are, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think that could be a reason why it's dropped. For example, a good handful of the people I know, and I know people from all over ends of things, but a good handful of people I know probably will never have a gun in their home. And they're my age and they don't want one. They don't find a need for it. They weren't raised with that. So again, we'll talk about all of these factors. But I think as you see kind of more and more, of our generation become adults and become the legal age to own a gun, I think that could contribute to the declining numbers in people earning firearms. And then again, it's really not that much of a decline, but I think that's where the decline could come from. I guess the more liberal side of things is starting to make up more of a majority of our country. I think that's an interesting
2: point And I agree for the most part that there's definitely a trend in age and generation of gun owners. I'm not saying it's only a deciding factor, but I also thought it was interesting that the lowest rate of people saying they had a gun in their house was in 2000. What happened and what triggered that, I think that's interesting. I'm still looking into some information about Gallup, but on an unrelated note, from 1936 to 2008, Gallup polls correctly predicted the winner of the presidential election. Isn't that crazy?
0: Wow. So, there's some validity. There it is, Jules.
2: There was another statement I read that I thought was really interesting. The company basically makes no money. Conducting polls brings the company financial losses of about $10 million a year. but gives Gallup company the visibility of a well-known brand, which helps promote its corporate research. So, they're just truly out here trying to get information from the people interesting yeah
0: i love it i love it at least to your point i actually agree with you i think not only the generational shifts but kind of the opening in views as well i also think with the world we live in back then probably you know i'm sure there were ways to entertain yourself but I also think probably not as many as we have now, especially with the digital age and all that we do.
1: I was just going to say that, Matt, I think that is a big point, too, because before computers and stuff, people took fighting and business and hate. And with the rise of the internet, more there's more online crime. People can now pretty, pretty dearly harm people without physically being there. And I think that also contributes.
2: I think a follow-up question that I have for gun owners today is what do you see the purpose of your gun being? Do you have it because you feel like you need to protect yourself in your home? Do you have it for entertainment? You're a hunter. You like to take it to the range, the broad category I'll call
0: entertainment and how often do you use it? Are you an avid hunter? Are you going to the range every 2 days? Or are you, you know, like oh yeah, I keep it locked up in a safe. My brother owns a gun. He keeps it locked. Well, I'm not going to say where he keeps it. But he has a gun. <laughs>
1: it's in a shoebox under his left car tire.
0: Honestly, like there are a number of reasons people own guns. Some people would say I've always had a gun. When I was a kid, I used to go hunting with my dad. I've had a gun since I was 12. Some people would say I had to buy a firearm to bring with me in case I ever feel like I'm being threatened. And that's the thing. One's perspective is different. So we definitely have to ask those questions, Jules. And also, I mean, kind of what we're gearing this towards is like, how do people feel about guns? Even if you don't own one, what do you think about guns? Gallup, we love you, Gallup, actually asked this question. And they asked a little bit more about the legal side of things. They asked the general question, do you have a gun in your home? And then, do you feel that the laws covering the sale of firearms should be made more strict, less strict, or kept as they are now? So I also want to stipulate there is a black market for guns that exists in this country.
1: I will say though, I know it is the black market because it's not being done legally. But it's not done secretively either. There are gun shows where you or I today could go and buy a gun with no background check, just someone selling their gun at a gun convention. I think there is some legality to it, but I think there's a loophole that they work with. But it's not going through the proper background checks, the proper procedure where you would be buying a gun from a Cabela's or Walmart or guns and ice cream in West Virginia. I think that's important to note. It's not some CD underground, and I'm sure some of it is, but it's not some Silk Road where you're buying drugs and they're stuffing it in six teddy bears and sending it to a random mailbox in an abandoned house that you go pick up, rip open this teddy bear and there your drugs. It's very much out in the open. In regards to background checks, one of the arguments that people
2: make is that gun control laws will not prevent criminals from obtaining guns or breaking the laws.
1: Wait, this is my favorite thing on the planet. Can I take that after you're done?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, do we every crime committed with a firearm, a gun that was obtained in a legal way? Probably not. And so that's one side of that coin. And the other side of that coin is even if somebody goes about the process in the right way, the process doesn't always work the way it's supposed to. The FBI actually admitted that Dylan Ruth, who killed nine people at a church in Charleston in 2015, he should have failed a background check for a handgun purchase after admitting to illegally possessing controlled substances in the past. But the FBI examiner did not retain the shooter's recording time. So he did legally obtain a firearm that he shouldn't
1: have illegally been able to obtain. Yeah, the system just failed miserably in that case. So, Jules, to process this quickly, <laughs> I don't care if you have a gun. I do not want to melt people's guns into marbles and throw them in the sewer. If you want to have a gun, ge which is the Yiddish term for like, have fun, do whatever you want. I don't think I personally should be able to walk into a Walmart and get a gun easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But I also understand that there's many facets to that. I don't have a criminal record. I don't have a mental health certification record. I don't have any type of record. But I still don't think that necessarily means I should have a gun. Those are my personal beliefs. People can shoot me out however they want. I just believe stricter gun reform. I think it should be much like obtaining a car. You should have training. You should have to show someone you're able to properly use it. And yeah, that doesn't mean you're going to properly use it. You could go through your entire driving test and then immediately run your car into oncoming traffic. That doesn't negate anything. But this article I like to point people to, and I have a little excerpt from it going to seem a little long at first, but I think it's really important. And I'd love to hear the rebuttal to it. It's from armedwithreason.com. And again, I'm not anti-gun. I am pro-reform. I am fine with whoever wants to have their guns. Take your guns and have a great time. But this is what it says. Quote, though it may seem like such an obvious point may not need mentioning. It has become increasingly popular amongst those who oppose gun reform Argue that such legislation only hurts law abiding citizens, making it more difficult for innocent civilians to get the guns they need to defend themselves. Criminals, after all, don't obey the laws that burden law abiding citizens. I will term this position as the lawbreaker paradox, a paradox because it axiomatically reinforces the idea that laws, though created with the intent to prove social outcomes, hurt the people who follow them. The paradox is as follows. Law abiding citizens obey the law. Criminals are lawbreakers and thus do not obey the law. Laws impose restrictions on the behavior of only those that follow them. Laws, therefore, only hurt law abiding citizens. Without exception, every law could be refuted with the lawbreaker's paradox. And societies would swiftly descend into anarchy if it wasn't for reasonable policymakers. Laws against rape, murder, and theft, for example, are rarely followed by rapists, murderers, and thieves. But the fact that such people exist in society is the reason behind such regulations in the first place. Among gun advocates forwarding this line of argument, there seems to be a serious lapse in moral institution that privileges expendency over human lives. To think that the minor inconvenience of gun reforms, such as background checks, waiting periods, assault weapon bans, is more burdensome than the death of thousands of innocent civilians each year, which such reforms seek to address, reflects a miscalibrated sense of what matters in the world. After all, when gun advocates say that they are being hurt by gun control, let's be clear what the actual implication of this statement is. My right to not be bothered in the least by regulation outweighs the right to live to life for thousands of innocents who die in the absence of said regulation. Not only can such gun reforms reduce the number of homicides, but there is very little controversy about the tremendous effect they would have at reducing suicides. So the belief that law is aimed at saving lives hurt law-abiding citizens is completely incompatible with any sane definition of right and wrong. End quote. So that's really long-winded. But personally, I think the same thing. I think you can refute any law. With the lawbreakers paradox, we should, in that point, we should just not have laws. I understand the paradox because I'm
2: thinking, okay, there's a speed limit. And if I'm going to be a law abiding citizen, I'm going to drive the speed limit. And if I don't give a fuck, you know, a criminal when I don't drive the speed limit. I get your point and I agree with you, but I then counter you by saying, don't you think that there are still going to be ways that people find around, even with stricter reform? Absolutely.
1: But the people who follow the laws that shouldn't get guns, like we talked about with Dylan Roof, if there were stricter laws in place, I don't think he would have gotten the gun. There was also another case, I don't remember who it was, maybe it was Dylan Roof, who went in somewhere. He was reported by the gun shop. But because it takes such a significant amount of time to send your filed the owner of the shop was unable to block him from leaving that day with the weapon. Then he went home and did whatever he did. I don't remember who that was, but I could look it up and find it. But yeah, I don't think it should be that easy is my point. I don't think I should be able to go to Walmart and and get a gun with a pint of Ben and Jerry's. To all the essentials. Literally a place called Guns and Ice Cream in West Virginia where you quite literally get soft serve and you can buy guns.
0: Absolutely. Least to your point, I just want to mention, we do have a list of the people who are not allowed to own a gun. So, in 1993, the federal government instituted the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act, where it said that background checks are required on gun purchases. And that's one of the few federal laws on guns, as we said. Uh, And they also, a year later, banned assault weapon sales for large-capacity magazines, but that expired in 2004. The Federal Gun Control Act of 1968 and the Federal Omnibus Consolidated Appropriations Act of 1997 makes it illegal for a person who fits in any of the following categories to receive or possess a firearm, fugitives from justice, unlawful users who are either addicted to narcotics or controlled substances. Persons adjudicated as a mental defective or who have been committed to a mental institution. Persons who have been convicted in any court of a crime punishable by imprisonment for a term exceeding one year. So, felons. Veterans discharged under dishonorable conditions. Persons who have renounced U.S. citizenship. Illegal aliens in the United States. Person subject to a court order that restrains them from harassing, stalking, or threatening an intimate partner or child of such intimate partners. And persons convicted in any court of a misdemeanor crime of domestic violence. So, those people that are not legally allowed to buy a gun. And the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act is checking to make sure that these people don't fit under any of those categories. But I wonder how. Thoroughly do people have to check and how do they check? I wonder how deep do they have to delve? Do they have to make sure that they're not under duress or a mental condition? I guess there's ways for them to say whether or not they're charged with a crime or are on a list of forbidden persons like stalking. But I'm curious, like how deeply do they have to delve in? And this would be a good question to pull and ask, Gun owners, how strict did you feel the process was? Did you feel it was too strict? Just right? Not strict enough? I'd like to open that up for discussion. I can tell you that in my experience, and again, I'm referring to my brother, he said that applying for a gun took a couple hours, and then renewing took about 15 minutes. he had to go to the local courthouse where we lived. And he had to renew his license.
1: I found this really interesting. So I was trying to find the case that I was talking about. I do believe it was Dylan Roof, where there was a faulty part in the background check. But I read here it says, under the normal process, if gun dealers do not hear back from the FBI with a flat denial in three business days, they are free to sell the weapon to the person who filled out the biographical paperwork. And that's what happened with Dylan Roof. In high school, I went with someone to Cabela's. I believe they were already a gun owner, but we went in 30 minutes we were out. They just took his ID, ran it, and then he bought the gun and we left. So they did another check. That's what I was
2: just gonna ask. If you gotten a check and you buy another gun, do you need another
1: check? I think that's what they were doing, or maybe they were just checking his age because we were in high school. I'm not a hundred percent sure. That would be interesting to know because say
2: you buy a gun when you are in high school or younger, and then things happen between then. And the time you purchase your next gun, is there another check? I mean, you would think there is, but I'm uneducated in that regard. Another thing that I wanted to bring up, California and New Jersey actually have the most strict gun laws, and there's a strictness grade from 2009, and they both got an A. But there's another scale on this site that I got this information, and it says that the gun death rate in California is 7.45, and in New Jersey, it's... 4.75. Mississippi on the other hand has the least strict gun laws and their strictness grade was an F and their gun death rate is 22.8 which is the highest gun death rate in the United States. Pennsylvania has a strictness grade of a C plus and the gun death rate is 12.47. Rhode Island has the lowest gun death rate of 3.28 their strictness score though was only a V plus. So I thought that that was interesting. Massachusetts and New Jersey have the lowest gun ownership in the United States at 14.7%. And of the eight states with at least an A minus strictness score, the highest gun ownership rate is 30.2 in Maryland. Just different things to think about because as we touched on at the top of the episode, federal law really only does so much in terms of firearms and gun control and all that sort of stuff. So I thought the breakdown and information by state was interesting.
0: Very interesting, Jules. I'm actually very surprised too by the New Jersey statistic in particular for being such a small state. It's a lot of gun violence.
2: No, New Jersey is low. Mississippi is really high. But what I thought was interesting, too, was on the same website I was looking at, it listed information in terms of Illinois. When I think about Illinois, thinking about Chicago, its main city and how violent the city is, it doesn't always correlate. I forget where they ranked in their strictness grade, but it didn't necessarily correlate with the gun death rate. But Mississippi, like, damn, the least strict gun laws and their gun death rate is 22.81. And I don't know exactly exactly what that number how it's calculated but you know going off Rhode Island being the lowest at 3.28 22.81 for Mississippi is very high so just interesting to note yeah hey, what are you all shooting at down there geez wonder too how they would categorize all those are they homicides or are they accidents right because you maybe think people have guns at a younger age possibly and so maybe there are accidents that happen when you're Learning how to use a gun, I don't know. The U.S. overall is just a hot mess when it comes to guns and gun violence compared to the rest of the world.
1: The argument about Chicago having the strictest gun laws is used often in these conversations. Uh
0: it's funny that you said that too, Jules, because I was thinking about that for Maryland. Like Maryland's a small state and it's, a lot of it is like on the water, but think about how much Baltimore accounts for that. It's easy to skew statistics too. California's a huge fucking state. I'm sure Oakland, LA, places, bigger cities account for that. So just interesting, but go ahead, Lisa, I'm sorry.
1: I was going to say I... Just looked it up and the Washington Post actually did a little bit of a deep dive on it in an article called Does a city with the quote toughest gun laws end up with the worst gun violence? It ranks the 8th for the toughest gun laws in the country according to Law Center. And it earns its ranking for a series of laws including background checks on gun sales, waiting periods between the purchases, transfer of guns, and gun licensing, but the city got its reputation for the toughest laws in the country because two laws that are actually no longer on the books. The city used to have a gun registry, but that ended in 2013 when the city council voted to adopt the state's concealed carry laws, and in 2010, a federal appeals court struck down Chicago's decade-old handgun ban. The decision followed a 2008 ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court in the District of Columbia versus Heller that asserted the District of Columbia's ban on handguns violated the Second Amendment, setting a legal precedent for the country. Then it goes on to talk about, like, the idea that they have the worst gun violence. There were 781 homicides in 2016, over 3,000 shooting incidents in 2016, and from January to June 2017, 2,100 people were shot, and they ranked the 18th out of 20 cities per capita homicide rate. Data on violent crime from 63 US cities, compiled by the Major Cities Chief Association, show that in 2016, Chicago had the highest number of homicides and non fatal shooting incidents, but absolute numbers are misleading because they don't account for difference, differences in population size. Chicago is home to roughly 2.7 million people, and St. Louis's population hovers around 315,000. I thought that was interesting because I've heard the debate on both sides, but you have to wonder if it's equal scaling. Because, of course, Chicago's going to have more crime with guns if they have a thousand, hundred thousand more people. You know what I mean? Yeah, right.
2: One more note that I was going to make in terms of the United States and the hot mess that we are. In 2007, the U.S. led the world in the number of civilian-owned firearms with 88.8 guns per hundred people. And so that's just strictly guns owned. Yemen came in second place. I said with air quotes, like it's a contest with fifty four point eight guns per one hundred people. So that's almost thirty, a little over thirty between uh, us at eighty eight point eight and the next, you know, person in line, which is hardly. And then, as of two thousand twelve, the U.S. had twenty nine point seven homicides by firearm. Per 1 million people. Switzerland, I thought was actually very surprising, came in again, second place in air quotes, with 7.7 homicides by firearm per 1 million people. So that's a huge difference. I'll point that out again. The US had 29.7 homicides by firearm per 1 million people. Switzerland, which was in second place, had 7.7 homicides per 1 million people. So those, I think, are very much to scale to your plate, Lisa, which made me want to make sure that we included that. But it's just startling, you know, because the difference between guns owned, the United States and Yemen wasn't as drastic as the number of homicides. And talking about this from a true crime standpoint, when we're talking about homicides, is such a drastic difference. 29.7 to 7.7. It's just crazy.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that, Jules, because on a national scale, America obviously is the largest gun-owning country to the capacity that it is in the world. And while we don't make up a huge portion of the population, we make up a vast overture of the gun-owning population of the world, looking at it on a large scale. And even, as we said, on a state-by-state basis. I always wondered, is it more urban or rural? Where do people find more guns? Do you find more guns out in the backwoods of Mississippi or in Biloxi? Do you find more guns in the middle of Venango County, PA, or in South Philly or North Philly? I don't know. Is it geography based? Is it socioeconomic based? What is it that makes people feel like a gun should either, you know, be used, number one, but own it. And I'm glad you mentioned too, Jules, the PA laws on guns, because I always think Pennsylvania is kind of a good balance, right? We get a large disparity. People make the joke, Philly on one side, Pittsburgh on the other, and Alabama in between. There's literally two huge cities. Well, one huge city, one moderately large city, and then a lot of rurality in between. And there are pockets of larger populations, of course, Erie, Harrisburg State College, like Wilkes-Barre, Scranton. There are bigger towns, but also a lot of rural small towns. And so I think this is a great state to kind of pull this in. And actually on the scale, the rating, it's a four out of five. And again, five being heaviest for guns. So the questions are, is a carry permit required? For handguns or long guns. And long guns is just a rifle jewel. So based on the barrel like a handgun is a shorter one, whether a shotgun, a rifle, anything with a longer barrel to it. And carry permits are required in this state. So you to carry your gun, you do have to have a permit for it. Pennsylvania prohibits a person from carrying a firearm without a proper license. You are allowed to carry a firearm without a license in your own home and in your fixed place of business. So you don't need a permit to buy a gun. You just pass a background check. All you really have to do is maintain residency and possess a valid license. There's also registration of firearms. You do not have to do that in Pennsylvania. So if you have a firearm, you do not have to register it. Forgive me. I don't know who you'd have to register it with if you did. I'm assuming there's some state oversight committee that you would have to at least acknowledge with for the states that do. Open carry is allowed in all places except Philadelphia or interview, I find that hilarious. Shout out to Philly. I think you guys are awesome. Now I'm getting that. <laughs> I'm a Penguins man. But background checks on private gun sales required. For handguns, yes. For long guns, no. However, it does say that all sales must be made through a licensed dealer or county sheriff's office. So there is at least that restriction. And then for magazine size restriction, there is no restriction. I find that interesting because as we read, it's sometimes not that difficult to learn how to alter a firearm. And as we've talked about before, it happens all the time where James Holmes made some minor adjustments to these guns and literally purchased enough rounds to kill an entire army.
2: Yeah. So... I was just gonna say with some of the big cases of mass shootings, I included a graphic from BBC, which we can share to our page. And I thought it was interesting how mass shootings I don't know if they have changed, but how they've progressed maybe over time. To include like Columbine in nineteen ninety-nine versus the shooting in Las Vegas in twenty seventeen and how They become worse. I also don't know all of these, like Killian, Killeen, Texas. I don't know about that.
0: I know all but one of these, Binghamton, New York in 09. But I think all of these, yeah, I mean, it's crazy to see. So obviously, in most victims was in Las Vegas. And we have not done that case yet, which we've definitely got to do. I got some theory.
1: Well, there's a lot of conspiracies around that someone asked us to cover that one as a conspiracy case, too. There's a lot of
2: conspiracies involving all of these mass shootings. Sandy Cook,
1: Columbine.
0: Yeah. The Parkland shooting, too, people say, was orchestrated.
1: My cousin went to Parkland and was there.
0: No hey, dude. Crazy.
1: Yeah, he's interviewed in some of the news things.
0: No way. Yep. It's crazy. I mean, there's not a discernible order. I mean, there are two outliers where there were massive casualties at both, and that's Columbine and Virginia Tech. Another case we have to cover. No. Did we do the Virginia Tech shooter release?
1: I don't think we've covered any
0: mass shootings besides James
1: Holmes. So check it out. That's actually one of our best performing episodes. Again,
0: we are touching on this from the perspective of gun reform. Right, Every single one of us in this podcast would say we are in favor of choice and people having the opportunity to make those decisions. If you want to own a gun, by all means do it. But also there are drawbacks to guns, of course. As we mentioned, safety for protection. Safety can be an issue as accidents do happen. Lisa, you just mentioned a case where how old was the kid, five years old or something?
1: It was 2021. Two parents are facing charges after a five-year-old boy accidentally shot and killed his three-year-old sister. And his parents are facing charges. Police say the five-year-old son accidentally shot his three-year-old sister in the head with a nine-millimeter pistol, which was on top of the refrigerator. They told police that the parents were in the bedroom when they heard a loud bang. They told law enforcement that they saw her son running into their bedroom saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. One of the family's three pistols was on top of the fridge while the family was moving some of their belongings. The dad believed that they pulled a chair up against the fridge to grab the gun. And the dad does say that that was a mistake to put his gun, obviously, on top of the fridge. And the detectives asked the dad if he believed his youngest son could have chambered a live round, and he said, yes, sir, I've seen him do it. And along with five guns that they removed from the household, they also found a backpack of ammunition in the children's bedroom.
0: Wow. Jesus. Christ.
1: So that's the thing. When I talk about gun reform, people think I'm yelling at them. And they also think I'm super anti-gun, which is not the case. I know many people who are gun owners. Actually, one of my friends keeps his guns in his cabinets, in his food cabinets, which I find kind of bizarre. But that leads me to a quick question for you guys. I was actually talking about this the other day with some family friends. I do believe gun safes are important, and I believe that safety of firearms is paramount for the exact reason that we just read. We don't want kids to be able to... grab guns from on top of the fridge and accidentally shoot them off just playing around. But if you think about the reason that a lot of people quote having guns, again, for protection, in a real scenario, you're not going to have time to go to a safe and play games. If someone's in your bedroom door, you want your gun your beck and call. You want to be able to use it. So it is a really interesting flip side of the argument that I agree with, actually. It makes sense to me because if I'm going to have a gun for protection, it's going to be where I can grab it quickly and shoot your kneecaps out. This is slightly off topic, but wrap it around, I promise.
2: So I have this recurring dream where I have to call parents or someone and I have to use an old ass, punch the button showed, and I keep fucking up the phone number. I'll get one digit wrong and then have to start back over and hang up and get the next. And if the panic of I need to call them and I need them now, I keep messing up. And so if I feel that I am in a situation where I need to get my gun, I'm going to be fumbling around with the lock of the safe that I have. You know, that's when I have that time and time again. I feel very anxious about my safety at times, but in my opinion, my solution, mine not anybody else's, is, is not a gun because I want something that I feel comfortable having in my nightstand
1: or in my car. We're going to be slapping people with dildos, everybody. Let's get a good weenie whacker. Uh, sure.
2: I'll make sure I get a G-string out and choke you. I don't know. <laughs> to me, that's the same thing. I will be panicking, fumbling, and will end up dead anyway.
1: So, yes. Yeah. Well, Jules, if you want my complete and 100% honesty, and if the government's listening, if I ever try to get a gun, I apologize. If the government is listening, could they sponsor (laughs) Yeah, Give us some money. But to be 100% honest with you guys, the reason I personally don't ever want a gun, this might change in later years, but as of right this second, is because I don't trust myself enough to not accidentally use it and hurt somebody. If I'm just panicked and I'm grabbing for not even the gun and I grab the gun and accidentally shoot someone. And also I have a pretty rational but irrational fear. If I have a gun in my household, I'm more likely to die by that gun. I don't want someone else to be able to use the gun in my house to kill me. The real statistics on it, if you have a gun in the house, you're more likely to be, obviously, Part of gun violence, rather than someone who doesn't. But that's obvious, of course. If you have balloons in the house, you're more likely to suffocate from a balloon than someone who doesn't have balloons in their house. But those are the top two reasons I personally don't want a gun. I really have been wanting to go to a gun range just to learn. Like I said, I'm not anti-gun, and I want to make that clear. I think it'd be fun to go like skeet shooting. It's really hard. I suck at it, but I
2: agree to that same point. Lisa, a leaf crinkles outside. I'm like Zach, what was that noise? I just don't think having a gun for protection is my best tool. But I think with that being said, we should share maybe some final thoughts here. And mostly what Matt had referenced at the top of the episode is this is our way of having our side of a discussion with you. And we want to hear your input. And that's why we're doing this type of episode. We're straying from the norm to have a conversation with our listeners. So with that note, does anybody have less thoughts they
0: want to share? No, I thought this was awesome. But I cannot wait to hear your opinion. It's obviously just the three of us tonight, but when we reconvene on this, we're going to have a lot more to talk about and a lot more people's opinions who are on both sides of the divide. Some are more informed, some not informed. I'd love to get somebody on here who's either a police officer or has to use a gun for their everyday job. I just think, it's going to be a really cool discussion. I'm looking forward to continuing it and doing this really forward.
2: Yes. And Lisa, if you have thoughts, I want you to share them. But something that said made me want to reiterate the fact that we have done research and looked into gun laws and statistics, but we are by no means the most educated people in regard to this. Or on anything we talk about. Good.
1: If you're here because you think we're professionals, you are at the wrong place. Right. We are by no means
2: experts. So I just want to reiterate that because we're just out here starting a conversation. And if we've said something that has been totally asked backwards, please let us know. We're not out here trying to be the
1: number one gun
2: educated people.
1: Going off of what Jules said by the expert thing, besides the facts and statistics we read out, and again, there's a gazillion of them and we're still questioning sample sizes, population sizes, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think there's ever going to be a definitive side, but I just want it to be clear that our input is our opinions. And I think that's the beauty of this show is that there's no right or wrong. Matt Jules and I could have completely differing opinions. That doesn't mean one of us is right or one of us is wrong, but I think something that I would hope a majority of our country could agree on is that we have a problem. Something is going wrong. If you look to all the countries surrounding us that also have guns, They do not seem to have the same rate of problem that we do with them.
0: Well, let's leave that up to our listeners. Do we have a problem? I agree with you. Most people, I think, would. But let's make that a poll. 51% of people come back and be like, no, y'all, cool. Guns are what they are. Let them be. I will transgress that.
1: Well, I think it's an opinion, but it's also fact because we've had a lot of mass shootings. But anyways, just to wrap up, I think all is a good discussion. And I think that's why I'm excited to get people's opinions because I do want to hear people's opinions who are different than my own. I had a lot of these conversations with people who have differing opinions than my own and they're very insightful conversations. And I hope we can look at the bigger picture and it be a, it's something we continue to work towards together and figure out how do we fix these problems? Is it a mental health crisis? And if it is, what can we do to solve that? How can we make this world a better place and a safer place for the future generations? I think that's a perfect way to end our episode. So
2: hit us up any way, shape, or form that you want to communicate with us. Leave us a video message or record yourself and whatever you want to do, send us a letter. I'll give you Matt's
1: address. I'm not giving you by. A carrier pigeon of opinions. Yeah. And I think we'll explore this topic more through cases that could maybe change people's opinions or open their hearts or Do the opposite, make them fearful and want a gun? There have been situations that have happened where I've thought, shit, in this situation, would I want a firearm to protect myself? Or do I think this person should have had one? It's a very interesting conversation, and I'm glad that it's a continued dialogue. It's not a closed-ended thing. And I hope everybody's open-minded and hears all perspectives. Unfortunately, it is a very politicized issue, which I wish it wasn't, because I think we get farther if we could just join together instead of tear each other apart. But we're interested in hearing what you have to say. Everything is i4ipod. Our email, i4ipod at gmail.com. Our handles i4ipod literally everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We'd be really curious to hear your opinion, especially those that are passionate one way or another. We want to hear it. We want to talk to you. And if you're willing, we'd love to have you on the show. And just to put it out there, anything shared with us, we will share on the show. We'd never share full names or anything. If you just want to tell us in confidence your opinion and you really don't want them to be shared, just let us know. Make sure to note that. Otherwise, we will assume you are good with us either reading your comment or having that in the show. So on that note, rate, review, subscribe, those ratings. We need to see those. We love hearing the feedback. We want to appear in more people's (laughs) cars, homes, and stereos. So make sure you do that because that gets us more visibility and we like to, you know, spread our seeds.
0: That was awkward, but all right. Y'all have a great night. No. All
1: right, Good night. Bye-bye.